Mount Everest, or Sagamatha, stands 29,000 feet above sea level, and its summit is the highest point on Earth. It was created 50 to 60 million years ago, when the Indian and Eurasian tectonic plates collided. The forces that pushed the rocks together all those years ago are still going strong, and every year, Everest's summit rises by a quarter of an inch. On May 29, 1953, New Zealand mountaineer Edmund Hillary and Nepali Indian Sherpa Tenzing Norgay became the first official people ever to reach the summit. At the time, that was a huge deal. However, today, over 5,000 people have successfully climbed Mount Everest, some multiple times. Nevertheless, it should always be remembered that ascending Mount Everest is an extremely challenging feat, even for the most experienced mountaineers. One of the most significant dangers is the high altitude. At 26,000 feet, you enter what is known as the death zone. The final stretch just before the summit, where the oxygen levels become too low to support human life. Spending too much time in the death zone can cause altitude sickness and brain swelling, and this is where the mountain claims most of its victims. Over the last century, well over 200 climbers have lost their lives on the mountain, and most of their bodies are still up there. Many with their brightly coloured padded jackets and climbing gear still attached to their corpses. The macabre landmark just inside the death zone is known as Rainbow Valley, and serves as a harsh reminder of just how treacherous and unforgiving the mountain can be. As climbers pass the death zone, they know the end is in sight, one way or another. Despite the obvious dangers, the allure of Everest and reaching its summit has never diminished, and what was once only attempted by either the very experienced or very foolhardy, has now been conquered by relatively inexperienced climbers, aided by a battalion of Sherpas and experienced guides. In the 1990s, with the emergence of more sophisticated climbing gear and clothing, the tourism industry at Mount Everest boomed. Climbers of all abilities were lured to the mountain, in what turned into a multi-million dollar industry, with some companies claiming that even the most amateur climber could reach the top of the world. In fact, some who were signed up had never been near a mountain, let alone climbed one. However, it wasn't cheap and with climbers paying between $30,000 and $65,000 each. Many were enticed into a false sense of security that for that amount of money, they would be taken to the top and back safely. But with so many people willing to pay for the experience, Everest was getting a little crowded. This became evident in the spring of 1996 with several expeditions from Taiwan, India, America, New Zealand and South Africa all attempting the ascent simultaneously. Most of the groups were approaching from the Nepalese south side of the mountain, although an expedition of experienced climbers from the Indo-Tibetan border police, led by Commandant Mahinda Singh, was ascending from the Tibetan north side. Two of the biggest guided groups tapling the Nepali side were adventure consultants led by Rob Hall, Mike Groom and Andy Harris, and Mountain Madness led by Scott Fisher. Anatoly Bukriv, and Neil Beidelman. Between them, they had 15 clients and 15 Sherpas. Gao Ming Ho led the five-member Taiwanese expedition, 
and one of the other American groups was there to make an IMAX film with filmmaker and climber David Briashears. Before attempting to climb Mount Everest, a requirement is to go through an acclimatization process. This started in mid-April and involved spending longer and longer periods in high altitudes before returning to base camps. After this was completed, climbers from the various expeditions made their way up to Camp 4, the last camp, before launching a serious bid for the summit. Camp 4 is at around 27,000 feet and is next to Lotsey Face, a wall of glacial ice that is a difficult section of the climb that leads to the death zone. This is where the first climber lost his life. On May 9th, Chen Yunnan, who was part of the Taiwanese expedition, left his tent without attaching climbing spikes to his boots. As a result, he lost his footing on the treacherous ice and fell down Lotsey Face into a crevasse. He was quickly rescued by a Sherpa and initially thought he was sore, but not seriously injured. However, as the morning progressed, Nan felt more and more unwell, so he decided to rest and catch up with the group later. But instead of resting, he made the decision to make his way back down the mountain. He was found later in a bad way by Sherpas also on their way down. They carried him for 1,000 feet before he passed out and died. Despite being informed of the death, Goi Ming-ho and his group decided to carry on with their climb, and along with the various other teams, pushed on to Camp 4, located at the beginning of the death zone. At this point, apart from the elite climbers, everyone needed to use oxygen to keep going. As adventure consultants and mountain madness made their way further up the mountain, they saw the IMAX team headed in the opposite direction. They had decided to turn around, fearing the weather was not looking great, and headed back to the safety of Camp 2 to wait for better conditions. Throughout the day on May 9th, the group started arriving at Camp 4, but by the afternoon, a storm hit that delayed the next part of the climb until the evening. At midnight on May 10th, Mountain Madness Adventure Consultants and Goy's Taiwanese Expedition set out for the summit. Every climber was given two spare bottles of oxygen for their climb. However, they were all aware that the oxygen would run out by five in the afternoon, so the climbers had to descend as quickly as possible once they reached the summit. Leaders Rob Hall and Scott Fisher decided to work together and reach the summit that day. The plan was that one Sherpa from each team would fix the ropes leading to the summit to help the inexperienced climbers negotiate the steep parts of the mountain. However, this didn't go to plan, and delays in fixing the ropes cost the climbers almost an hour, and a bottleneck of climbers accumulated, slowing everyone down. This was not the only delay. Many of the inexperienced climbers were struggling and were very slow, but the clock was now ticking. Adventure Consultants Leader Hall deemed that it was unwise to try and summit after 2pm at the latest, and if the climbers had not reached the top by then, they should turn around. However, this deadline was not enforced, and only three of the climbers from Adventure Consultants heeded the advice and turned back. By around 1pm, the first batch of climbers summited within the deadline. At this point, Mountain Madness Guide, Anatoly, who was climbing without supplemental oxygen, broke away from the main group and started his descent with a client, Martin Adams. But he later left Adams behind and reached Camp 4 by 5pm. It's not known why he did this, although it is something he had done in the past. 
Some of the other climbers were reaching the top well past 2pm, and whether it was client pressure or not, Mountain Madness leader Fisher didn't enforce a turnaround time, and allowed his clients to stay on the summit well past 3pm. The Taiwanese group also summited around 3pm. The last to reach the top was adventure consultant's leader Hall and his client Doug Hansen, who arrived at 4pm. It was noted that this was Hansen's second attempt to scale Everest, and it's possible that Hall was aware that Hansen had spent his life savings on his Everest expeditions, so he may have been unduly swayed not to stick to the 2pm turnaround he himself had suggested. Hall was also aware that Hansen had run out of supplemental oxygen, but stuck with his client, sending Sherpas down to assist other climbers, instructing them to stash oxygen canisters on the route. By that time, snow began to fall, and the clouds darkened. This added to the difficulty of descending, as the snow covered the tracks they needed to guide them down. By 6pm, it was a full-fledged blizzard with gale-force winds, and 17 climbers were still in the death zone with decreased oxygen supplies. The teams broke up in a desperate bid to reach camp. Leaders Fisher and Makuda Gao did not proceed, and Fisher urged the Sherpas to leave him and Gao and aid other climbers down. The situation had become desperate. Hall, who was the highest up the mountain, radioed for help, reporting that Hansen was now unconscious but was still alive. In a brave attempt to rescue his colleagues, adventure consultant guide Andy Harris began climbing alone, carrying supplemental oxygen and water towards Hansen and Hall to try and help them. Several other climbers got lost during the storm. Mountain Madness guide Beidelman and his clients, along with adventure consultant guide Mike Groom and his clients Yasuko Namba and Beck Weathers, battled through the blizzard until they could go no further and sheltered in a ridge. When the blizzard cleared enough to see, Beidelman, Groom and two others set off to get help. The others remained on the mountain and shouted so rescuers could locate them. This was when Bukriv, who had previously ascended alone, aided in the rescue and located the climbers bringing three of the Mountain Madness clients to safety. However, he left Namba from adventure consultants as he felt she was close to death and he didn't see Beck Weathers. Earlier the following day, Hall radioed base camp again. He had somehow survived the night, but reported that Hansen was dead, and Harris, who had reached the stricken pair, was missing. Later that afternoon, Hall radioed again, asking base camp to call his pregnant wife, Jan Arnold, on the satellite phone. During their last heartbreaking communication, they chose a name for their unborn child. Hall reassured his wife that he was reasonably comfortable and told her to sleep well and to not worry too much. Shortly after, Hall froze to death in his sleep. His body was located on the 23rd of May by Ed Visters from the IMAX expedition, but at the request of his wife it was left up there, although his wedding band was retrieved and handed back to his wife. The bodies of Andy Harris and Doug Hansen have never been found. Stuart Hutchinson, a client on Hall's team, was one of the climbers who turned around before the summit on the 10th of May. He decided to launch another search for weathers and number. He found both of them alive but severely frostbitten and unable to move, 
After consulting with Basecamp, he made the agonizing decision that leaving Weathers and Namba behind was the only option. However, by some miracle, Weathers regained consciousness and walked into camp, much to the disbelief of everyone, but he was in an incredibly bad way. Suffering from frostbite and severe hypothermia, his fellow climbers did all they could to revive him, but after a storm collapsed his tent the next morning, they believed he had died and were set to leave camp and abandon him again. However, it was discovered he was still conscious and could move. Over the next two days, Weathers was carefully helped down to Camp 2 and was eventually evacuated by a dangerous high-altitude helicopter rescue. Somehow he survived and eventually recovered, but lost his nose, right hand, half his right forearm, and all the fingers on his left hand to frostbite. On May 11th, Sherpas located Fisher and Gao, but Fisher was beyond help, and they were only able to give palliative care. But they did rescue Gao, and he was subsequently evacuated by helicopter. Similar to Beckweathers, Gao lost all his fingers on both hands, toes, and his nose to frostbite. On the Tibetan side of the mountain, Teswang Paljo and Dorji Marap, all Indo-Tibetan border police, lost their lives during the storm. Their bodies are still on the mountain, and Paljo's corpse became known as Green Boots. For many years, his body was a landmark on the main northeast ridge route of Everest, until it was moved to a less conspicuous location in 2014. Tragically, eight climbers perished during their attempt to summit Mount Everest on May 10th, 1996, not including Chen Yunnan, who died the day before. The loss of life was one of the greatest on Everest since it was first scaled in May 1953. In hindsight, it was a tragedy that possibly could have been avoided. There were several factors that contributed to the disaster, including inexperienced climbers, human error, and failure to adhere to the cut-off time for summiting. However, ultimately, it was the weather that killed them. When the blizzard hit, no matter how experienced a climber you are, it gets to a point where it's unsurvivable, and you are at the mercy of the extraordinarily hostile and unpredictable environment of Mount Everest. In the aftermath of the disaster, some of the survivors and witnesses wrote books about their experiences that were turned into TV documentaries. The events also inspired the feature film Everest, released in 2015, which is an incredibly sad and powerful movie. Mount Everest is an incredibly dangerous place, and the powerful pull for many climbers to summit it has and will continue to take lives for many years to come.